I've been thinking about for a while and been doing some, actually been writing part of it before you even mentioned it to me. So we do have quite a few scriptures tonight, but for a lot of them, they're going to be in different, um, different versions. So I'll just try to read through them. You don't have to if you don't want to, but um, I'll try to, most of them, I'll tell you what version it is. There's some I forgot to write it down, I'll be honest. So, um, okay, um, so what I, I found when I was working on this subject that I keep coming back to a particular topic, and that is words. Words. I keep coming back to what we say because words are so important. And I lived most of my life not really understanding that they were that important in a Christian's life because I didn't grow up in the church and when the various churches I went to, nobody really talked about that. And so it wasn't until I was in this church when I realized, you know, the things that I say actually have an impact in my life and in other people's lives and I need to think about that more carefully. So tonight we're actually going to talk about words and in Proverbs 18:21 it says the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now that implies that those who understand it have life, right? But those who don't, well they reap what they sow. And we know that whether you're speaking good words or bad words, you're going to reap whatever you have sown. You know, unless you say bad things and then you, you dig them up, right? And the book of James, I don't know about any of you, but I used to avoid the book of James. Because the book of James always seemed so harsh to me. You know, it talks about all these things and the tongue is so bad and, you, you know, all these horrible things. And, and it was a while before I realized that basically what he was saying is that we have to submit our tongues to God. I didn't really understand that because I thought, I can't, I can't live up to what he's saying because no matter what I say, it seems like I, I fall down. You know, I say something I shouldn't have said. So it was a while before I realized that I, I had a better appreciation for the book of James, shall we say. And I don't know about you, but I believe that we're living in a coarse society. Very coarse, you know, whether you're watching movies or television, you can be out shopping, you know, you're going to hear people saying things that I used to not be able, I, I used to not hear when I was growing up, but now they're just commonly said. And many times that involves cursing. But there are other things too. I mean, there's, there's sexual comments, there's all sorts of coarse things in our society. And, I mean, okay, even like the Bama game, you know, the t-shirt that says, you know, me and 102,000 of my closest friends? Yeah. Some of those friends say things that are not what I would like to hear. The visiting team's fans either. And I never really know how to respond to that. Because you want to turn around and go, hey! That's my God you're talking about. But then you're afraid it's like, that person might hit me. So, right? So you want to defend God, but you also want to use wisdom. And so I just found myself after 
a couple of games this year thinking, why do people take God's name in vain like this? Why? And I came to a couple of thoughts. One is that Proverbs 14:33 in the Passion that I like so much that says, the heart of the fool just stockpiles stupidity. Because really, I think they're foolish. They're foolish to do this, right? And, and then also, I think maybe they just don't know any better. A lot of people aren't growing up knowing what we know, right? But also, some of these people, I'd be willing to bet you, would say they're Christian. Right? But the world that we live in sort of chips away at a Christian's behavior. Do you know what I mean? It's like when you're out in the world, if, if you're not careful, the world will gradually influence you to have behavior that is not something that God would condone. It chips away at our Christianity, basically. And so I want to talk a little bit about that tonight. I want to talk about why we need to worship and honor God's name. That's not something I feel like we talk about a whole lot. We just do it. But I like to sometimes think about the underpinning of why do we do this? And if we understand why we should be doing it, then I think it makes us have our own thoughts more organized and we actually take note of our own behavior more often and say, oh yeah, I, you know, that person shouldn't be saying that and I'm not gonna say it, okay? I am not, I'm not gonna do that. So anyway, well, let's talk about what's in a name, first of all. Everybody here has a name, right? So I went and did a little research and Pamela actually means all sweetness, which I thought was very nice. And Annette means grace or favor. Very good. Michael means who is like God. And I happen to know Matthews because his name means gift of God. And he was a promised child, and so it just seemed like it was perfect for him. So everybody has a name. And how do you like it if people knew, use your name wrong or maybe spell it wrong? Nobody likes it. I can tell you. I worked in the media. And one of the first things we do is say, how do you spell your name? And then you go and you write it wrong. And then people are mad at you. And sometimes they call you and they send you nasty messages. And so everybody wants to be recognized and they want their name right. They want their name honored, right? And imagine God. How would you like it if people cursed your name on a regular basis? I mean, truly. It's a really kind of strange thing for us to consider, but it happens to God all the time. So the Bible says there are some definite advantages to having reverence for God's name, and there are some negatives for those who don't. So I'm going to start tonight with the Ten Commandments. So do you remember what number it is that says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain? Do you remember where that came in in the top ten? Three. Number three. That's pretty high on the list to me, you know? So I think this means that God takes notice when people bring dishonor to his name. Now, he says that he will punish this action. And in the Old Testament, just be glad we're not living under that anymore because they got stoned to death 
the people who took his name in vain, people who didn't honor his name. So, but, you know, I'm guessing he still feels the same about his name, that that hasn't changed. It's just that we're living in grace now. Jesus provided a way for us not to get stoned when we don't do things we, we should, or do things we shouldn't do. So in the New Testament, in Matthew 15, 8, and 9, this is from the Amplified, um, Jesus warned of the falsity of those who worship God but bring shame upon his name. He said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, for they teach as doctrines the precepts of men. So they were using what men were saying as the actual precepts or the underpinning for their beliefs. And he was saying, you can honor me with your lips, but your heart doesn't know me. So that's false worship, right? If somebody is just, if they're just saying, you know, all these things that they think they should be saying, but their heart's not in it, and they don't know Jesus, that's false worship. So that is not pleasing to God. Because I think he would rather have you cursing him than pretend that you are something that you're not. So what are the consequences of not guarding our tongues? Well, in Proverbs 13, 3, it says, The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Now, I think there's a lot of, a lot of wisdom in that. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. But the one who opens it wide his lips, in other words, he talks. It just says stuff, right? Well, he comes to ruin. Have you ever known somebody who was very... I don't know, very reserved, but spoke, when they did speak, it was in wisdom. You know, it was, it was something that had a good underpinning, and it was well thought out, and they expressed themselves well, versus the person who has what we always call diarrhea of the mouth, right? They just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and eventually you're not listening to a thing they're saying, because they can't possibly mean all of it. So you have to guard your mouth. And in Proverbs 11, 11, it says, By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it's torn down. And I recently did an offering where I talked about how when we are blessed, it actually blesses the city. We can actually, through our lives, we can bless the communities we're in. This actually says the mouth of a wicked can tear it down. I don't, I don't, you know... Words are important. Let's just say that. So in the New Testament, in James, one of my formerly not favorite books, um, in 126 it says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. So you can think you're religious, but if you don't, take care of what you say, your religion is worthless because what you're saying has no meaning. And I might get in trouble for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Have you seen these t-shirts that says, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little? Uh -huh. And one of them has a little marked out and says, lot. 
It's like they're bragging because they cuss. I don't know. That really gets under my skin. It's like, really? I think you need to work on submitting your tongues to Jesus. You know? Because you don't need to be bragging because you're going around cussing. I'm sorry. But that's not controlling your tongue. And that is not showing submission the way we should be submitted to Jesus. So, um, and in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, it says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we're supposed to use our tongues to glorify God, not to dishonor Him. And there are lots of, there are lots of admonitions about this in the Bible, where it says to honor Him, where it says to worship Him. But it also warns against not doing that, right? In Ephesians, it says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. And let's stop with that. You have to think what you're saying. Does this show other people how I feel about God? You know, if I'm a Christian, how am I supposed to be expressing myself so that other people will look at me and know who I'm representing? Because remember that for a lot of people, we're the only Jesus they're going to see on the earth. And if you say one thing, or if you, you, know, you say that you're a Christian and you say that you honor God, but on the other hand, you don't honor him with your mouth and with your words, you have just damaged your testimony. Because people are going to look at that and they're going to say, well, he says this, but he does this, so I don't really know. So we have to remember that that has to match up. So... If we say we're a Christian, then we need to act and sound like one, too. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So it starts out by saying, No unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And the Bible tells us to glorify and magnify God's name. And to magnify something means to enlarge it, right? I mean, if you put something under a microscope or a magnifying glass, it gets bigger. Okay? So it says that we're supposed to magnify his name. And we do that by what we say. That's the only way we can do that, right? I mean, what we say. And in Psalm 29, it says, Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So that says glory is due to his name. You're supposed to honor him. This is the God who created you and who created everything we see around us. How could we do less than honor him? So I want to look at some of the different meanings of God's name and some of the aspects of Jesus' name. 
And there are a lot of different biblical names that refer to God. I'm only sticking to the ones that I can pronounce, I'll be honest. But um, if you think about it, these names can be considered as characteristics of God. It's like the old thing where they said, you know, if you had three blind men and you wanted them to describe an elephant to you, each one would have a different impression of what it was. So one man might go up to the leg and say, oh, this is, you know, a creature with rough skin and it's, it's big and stout and round. And somebody would go up to the ear and say, oh, no, this creature has soft, soft um, exterior and it's curved. And the person who grabbed the tail would describe something totally different, right? This is long and skinny and kind of fuzzy at the end. They're all describing aspects of the elephant, right, right. right? And so when we talk about these different names that are given to God in the Bible, they're describing different characteristics of him. And those characteristics are how we understand him and how he actually relates to our lives. So um, it's interesting that Jewish scholars, they I don't know if they still do this, but originally they wouldn't write the name Jehovah because they considered it so sacred that it would immediately, it could not be erased, basically. If it was written, it could not be erased ever because that would be taking away from God. So it's considered the holiest name of God in the Hebrew language. So a lot of these start with Jehovah. So it's God Elohim. So Jehovah Elohim. And it's talking about this is God, and this characteristic, Elohim, refers to God's incredible power and might. This one is used more than 2,200 times in the Bible. It's basically God is creator. So Elohim, he's the creator. He created you. He created me. And in Romans 11.36, it says it in a way that I've always loved. It says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. For of him and through him and to him are all things. So that's amazing. That encompasses everything, right? So for of him and through him and to him are all things. He is our creator. He's Elohim. I like that one. Then there's Jehovah Adonai. And you probably know all these things. We've, we've heard teachings on them before. Adonai is our Lord and Master. And this is the name to which we surrender because he's redeemed us with love. And so in Matthew 7, 21, 23, it says... Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You have to surrender to his name. You can go out and say, anybody can put up a shingle and say, hey, I, you know, I'm, you know, Pastor Jolly Good here. 
and you come to my church and, you know, we're going to we're going to worship God. And anybody can do that. But you have to surrender to him. You have to know him. For him to know you. Because it says here, Jesus said, I will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. If you don't surrender to him as your Lord and as your master, as the king, then you haven't really surrendered to him at all. And you have to do that. You have to acknowledge, I've been bought with a price. You are my Lord. That is a requirement. And some people don't want to take that step, right? They're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm, you know, is Jesus your Lord? I don't really know what that means. So, and you take them through it, and some people are really hesitant. And they're like, well, you're saying that I have to submit to somebody? I don't know about that. But that's because you haven't really understood or you don't want to understand what Jesus really did for you. And so Adonai is our Lord and Master, and he only wants good for us. Otherwise, he wouldn't have sent Jesus to redeem us. He would have just left us down here, you know, to our own devices. But he sent Jesus. So he's our Lord and our Master. Okay, another one is El Shaddai. And we've all heard the song, right? Wonderful song. This is the all-sufficient one, and this is basically in relation to God's grace. And in 2 Corinthians, um, Paul is praying to God because he's apparently been bothered by some physical issue. And he says that God answered him. And this is from the Passion, and it says, But he answered me, My grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weaknesses, for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. So, grace. You hear that word over and over in the New Testament especially. Grace. He says, my grace is always more than enough for you. And in Ephesians, it says, For by grace you have been saved by faith. Nothing you did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the love gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. It's only through faith. So our El Shaddai is all about his grace and its sufficiency in our lives. And so how many times have you had something going on in your, in your life and you're like, you know, Lord, I just need your help. And that verse in 2 Corinthians, his grace is always more than enough for you. It's always available to you. Always. He never withholds it. Never. And then there's Jehovah Jireh. And we know this one pretty well, too. 
this is the Lord who provides. And I think um, probably this is one that a lot of people are very familiar with because we like to look to him for our provision. And he always provides for our every need. And this started pretty early in the Bible when I was looking at different references to Jehovah Jireh. And I pulled out specifically something in Genesis 22, and this is from Abraham, when he was asked to go sacrifice Isaac. And, you know, they didn't take a, a sacrifice with them because Isaac was going to be the sacrifice. And our understanding now is, you know, he was willing to sacrifice his son because he believed that God would bring him back. And it says, Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So he called that place, the Lord shall provide. And that's Jehovah Jireh for us, right? Even in the midst of something, he always provides a way for us. He provides every need. And sometimes our need is an understanding of how to get out of a situation. And he provides that. Sometimes that need is going to be a financial need. It's like, Lord, I need this because I've got to pay this and I've got to do this. Sometimes it's a relationship need. You know, Lord, I need to, you know, reconnect with my daughter. I need to have healing in my family. Those sorts of things. God can provide all of that because he is Jehovah Jireh. And in Philippians 4.19, another verse we all know, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. All your need. He didn't say, I'll give you the basics. You know, we've, we've been there, right? You know, you sign up for this service and you got the basic service. And it's like, there are all these things that you can't access. And it's like, oh, well, if you want those, you got to get the extended plan or whatever, right? You got to level up here. So God didn't do that. He said, I'll give it all to you. I will supply all your need. So that's Jehovah Jireh. And then there's Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Another really important one. And he sent Jesus, actually, to heal the effects of sin and our broken relationship with God. And Jesus actually gave that authority to the disciples. I, I really enjoy always reading that in Matthew because Jesus had these 12 guys, one of whom we know was a thief. And so he sends them out and says, I'm giving you the authority, and I want you to go heal people, and I want you to raise the dead, and I want you to do all these things. Don't take any clothes with you. Don't take any money. You'll be provided for. And I guess they trusted him enough to say, okay. And they went out and did it. And they came back and were like, yeah, this stuff works. And it's like Jesus gave it to them. We've got it too. Right? We have it. So he is the God who heals. 
And it says, Jesus gathered his 12 disciples and imparted to them authority to cast out demons and heal every sickness and every disease. It's still here. We have it. We are better than disciples. We are God's sons and daughters. You know? We are part of the family. So we get the good stuff. Right? We have this ability to do this. We have this authority. And a lot of people do not understand that. And I'm sorry if they don't, because it's true. Because you look in the Bible and there it is. So, but that's Jehovah Rapha. So I'm starting to run short on time, so I'm going to move to the name of Jesus, because that was all stuff about God. The name of Jesus, it's also powerful and important. So first of all, Jesus is the Lamb of God. And it was John the Baptist who was like out in the wild, wherever he was baptizing people. And he saw Jesus approaching and he said, John saw Jesus coming to him to be baptized and John cried out, look, there he is, God's Lamb. He takes away the sin of the entire world. So I think that was the first reference to him being the Lamb of God. And John just said that. It's like the Spirit just rose up in him to proclaim this over him. He's the Lamb of God. He came to take away the sin of the entire world. He was the sacrifice. He was the Lamb that was sent to the slaughter for us. So he's the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And that's what it says in Revelation. You know, the first and the last. He was here in the beginning. He's going to be there in the end. He's been there the whole time. He's not going away. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus said this about himself in John 6.35. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. That might have been a little difficult for people to understand at the time. But we understand it now, right? Because he who, he who comes to me shall never hunger and never thirst. He is our <coughs> Redeemer. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our everything. And he does provide everything that we need. We, we, you know, there, I think one of the reasons that people are in so much distress in the world now, and we do live in this coarse society, is because people don't believe in anything. They're afraid to believe in anything because they have believed in people. And people always let you down. But Jesus basically said, lay down everything and believe in me. And I will provide for you. I will give you everything that you need. You can come to me and I will do this for you. And I think it's just really difficult for a lot of people to trust that and believe it because they don't see actual hard physical evidence for it. But you know what? That's what we are. That's what our testimonies are. We are the evidence in the world that Jesus is the bread of life and that he's also the light of the world. And this one, when you curse Jesus, when you put his name in and you curse him, do you realize you're literally cursing what brings light and illumination into your life? Do you want to live in darkness? 
You're cursing Jesus. He is the light of the world. Come on. And, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. We all know this. Jesus is our advocate. Do you know he's still advocating for us in heaven? You know, he said that he would. So I believe him. I think he is up there and he's going, you know, Lord, I, Father, I want to talk to you about Pam today. Pam, Pam needs this. You know, Pam's so uh, faithful and Joey's so faithful and Lynn's so faithful. And I just, I just want these things for these people that they're praying for. We're going to make this happen. He's our advocate. It's not like he just went up there and he's just sitting at the right hand of God, just like filing his fingernails and just kind of waiting for the white horse to show up, you know, for the, the rapture. No, that's not, that's not how it is. He's actually active in heaven for, on our behalf. And he is the word of God. That's another one. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word came to be known as Jesus. Right? He's the one who spoke everything into existence. So Jesus is the word of God. So, with all these names, and with all these attributes and these characteristics, it is amazing to think that people regularly curse the name of God or Jesus. Because think what they're cursing. They're cursing their provision. They're cursing their protection. They're cursing their healing. They're cursing their, the grace in their lives. They're cursing everything that's good. But you know what? To a lesser degree, we do that too. Are there times when we cheapen what God has done for us? Maybe we take credit for it. Or... We're like, yeah, I, I think God could do that for me. That's not a really strong belief statement right there, right? So sometimes it's not that we have to necessarily be cursing God, but what we're not doing is giving him the reverence. We're not worshiping him. We're not giving him the credit for a lot of things. We're not... Um, when we pray for people, you know, it's, you have to go in there with some confidence. Because if you don't have confidence, they will know that. Right, right. You know, they're going to sense, I don't know that she's got the stuff today. You have to go in with confidence because that is a way of acknowledging my God is a healer. Right? You know, my God is a provider. My God can help you. And I'm going to pray for you, and it's going to happen. You have to go in with that confidence in God. Because if you don't, it's maybe not outright cursing him necessarily, but it, it's undercutting his power. Because if you don't believe in it, it's, not, it's probably not going to happen. You have to go in believing in God. You have to go in believing God can do this, and he will do this. And if you don't, those people you're praying for will sense that. Um, so in Matthew, it says, it's referring to the Old Testament, your ancestors were taught, never swear an oath that you don't intend to keep, but keep your vows to the Lord God. 
However, I say to you, don't bind yourself by taking an oath at all. Don't swear by heaven, for heaven is where God's throne is placed. And that's from Matthew. It was Jesus who said that. Don't swear by heaven, for heaven is where God's throne is placed. God is above everything. Everything. So is, is he getting his feelings hurt when you curse his name? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But he takes note of it. Because his throne is in heaven. And if you are not giving him the honor and the reverence that you should, then that's a problem. So it says, don't take an oath. Christians should not. I'll just put it that way. So, um, in Proverbs, it says, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. That's in the, in the Passion. I like that one. If you guard your mouth and tongue, you keep your soul from a lot of trouble. I have to say that the times in my life when I've gotten in trouble, it's been because I said something I shouldn't have said. It usually goes back to my tongue. And, you know, you guys are probably great with all of this. You probably honor God in everything you're saying. But for some of us, it's a little more of a struggle sometimes. Because I find myself sometimes saying things and then thinking, ooh, that wasn't very good. I shouldn't have said that. And so what I'm talking about here tonight is not necessarily something you don't understand, but I want you to be reminded of how important it is, what we say, and how we talk about God. And how, because he's our father. You know, would you want somebody, you know, ignoring you? If, that would, if you were their father, if, you, if you've had kids, you know, you don't necessarily want your children to ignore you. You don't want your children saying bad things about you. You prefer that your children have some faith in you, right? right. Yeah. So, but, and I think it was on Sunday, pastor said something. He said that there's a daily degradation of faith because we live in this world. Our faith is constantly under attack. And it's not usually big things. It's little things. So, you know, maybe it's that you're watching movies that have, you know, some coarseness in them. And then it slips into your conversation. Or maybe it's that you have some friends who are saying some things that probably wouldn't be great for a Christian to say. <clears throat> but, you know, you're around them and they're your friends, and so you just sort of join in with them. Not a good thing. So I guess that what I'm saying tonight is we need to think about what we say. And we need to make sure that what we're saying is a good reflection on God and on our walk with him. Because it would be a lot of people are watching you. We don't like to think that. But, you know, I always tell Matthew, always act like you're on camera because you probably are now wherever you go. Well, people are watching you. 
And if you have told people that you're a Christian, there's a certain kind of behavior they expect you to live up to. Now, nobody is perfect, obviously. But why give them reason to doubt? Because of something that you say. And, you know, James is not my favorite book still, but I have come to understand how important it is that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have to submit everything. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to give you like 95%, and then I've got this other 5% over here that I'm going to keep for me. That doesn't work. Everything has to be submitted. And I think that's a process for Christians to go through because you can't just do that all on day one. It's something that it is progressive. I think revelation and faith are progressive and that you grow. That's the whole reason that, that we study, right? And we grow because we want to get to know God better. We want to have a closer relationship and walk with him. So we need to guard our mouth and our tongues. And I just say this so that we can all remind ourselves to use words to worship God and show him honor because of the place that he exists in our lives. If you're a Christian, he is number one. You know, we are not, he is. And so we need to honor him with what we say and the way that we approach him. So, just some, a reminder tonight. Pretty sure you guys are all good at this, but just a little reminder for you. If you're in a situation sometime soon and somebody says something, just, you know, say, my God is awesome. You know, leave him out of this because my God is above us and he's awesome and he's great. And I'm not going to say anything bad about him. So, anyway, thank you for joining us. Um, hope everybody got something out of that. Thank you.